What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Conspiranormal. Okay, guys. Welcome to Conspiranormal. Glad that uh, we're doing the show a little bit late in the week for us, but uh, you guys won't know that because you'll, you'll get it on time. But we kind of had to reschedule uh, a few things and shuffle some things around, and, but we have two of our favorite people with us tonight. A little bit of help from our friends. That's right. A little help from our friends. We've got uh, Timothy Renner from the Great Strange Familiars podcast. Thanks for having me. And the the man that uh, I think everybody knows out there, Mr. Soraya Askath from Where Did the Road Go? Hi. Hello, Soraya. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming on. No problems. We really uh, love both of you guys' shows. You guys are like kind of like our sister shows. And so we just thought that we'd just have a nice little, uh, I guess, jam session, so to speak, and just talk about various things. Um, but uh, first of all, what have you guys been uh, been up to uh, as we kind of come out of this whole COVID thing? For, for the last two hours, I've been sitting in the dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not by choice. Not by sure. It's a power out. Actually, I am very grateful that I have, you know, books I needed to read on Kindle. Yes. Yes. Because otherwise I'd just be sitting in the dark. Do you not have any candles or anything, Soraya? Yeah, I'm sure I do. You don't have anything from your rituals? Yeah, I just figured you'd have some black candles going anyway. I don't really use candles. Um I, I, I have a nice, powerful LED, like handheld light, and the rest of the time I'm just in the dark. Like right now, it's pitch dark in here. 
you're the one that gets the most natural disasters of any of yeah, us. Yeah, we did have some tornadoes last all the time. year. But I think you win with that. Yeah, but your, your tornadoes were way worse than my last natural disasters. Yeah, yeah. You just get your like, you know, your basement flooded and right. What's the deal with that? So there's like a lot of groundwater seeping up or something. Because when you told me that you were you were out of power. I thought you you had like an electrical storm and you were getting a whole bunch of rain and that was why. But so what's the, I mean, I'm sure this is very exciting for the listeners know about Soraya's problems with his, but I'm just curious, like, just like you got a bunch of, is there like a well or an aquifer on your, on your property or something? They, when they built the extension on my house back in like 99, 1995 for my grandmother, they, uh, they blocked the natural drainage path. And part of that water now drains intentionally into that part's basement, which is not a big deal anymore because anything that was worth anything was destroyed. Uh, So that basement is essentially empty. Uh, But the front basement is where it also started causing water to come in because that water now was blocked from its normal path. Okay. So then it's just going to flood. So you've just got this pump that like a sump pump that just keeps it from flooding down in the basement constantly right and the times it has flooded the front basement are usually completely almost supernatural level storms uh-huh and there's there's nothing that any pump's gonna do to that right right yeah you get these like actual floods and and shit. right and on the top of a hill you've been here yes i have yes i have I, i've not seen it um you've, you've done some renovations i think you got like a whole studio in the house now don't you Yes. Yep. Yeah. So Soraya, you do where did the road go for anybody that doesn't know? And then you've got a couple of uh, shows that you do. It's like uh, metal. I just like, do one. Oh, okay. Well, there's another one you help out on. Yeah. I help out on the metallic onslaught, not my show. Uh, I do the last exit for the lost, which is mostly metal, but it's also like industrial goth. Uh-huh. All kinds of different stuff all mixed together. Anything that's like heavy and underground or dark. Yeah. I got to sit in on one of the, the uh one of those shows. Yeah, you were there when we had because we came back from Albatwitch from seeing Tim. That's right. That's right. That was uh that was a hell of a trip. So Yeah. You drove up here from Gettysburg, I think. Well, what I did was I drove up from DC. Okay. And I stayed with Peter Robbins. Right. For like that friday night and then i drive then i go to your place which like soraya says he lives in ithaca but it's like 30 minutes away are you like 40 miles away from it and like guys i'm I'm 20 miles away from it soraya literally lives in the middle of nowhere y'all it's like it's like the it's like the uh uh, texas chainsaw massacre world up there (laughs) Uh, you don't know like not quite Plus, there's, and, you know, nice, nice, pretty lakes on either side. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so we drive down to, uh, what city was that, Tim? Columbia. Columbia, Pennsylvania, which is southern Pennsylvania. It's like a four and a half hour drive. Yep. And then we drive back that night. And then I do Where Did the Road Go with you in studio. After and getting then, lost and, and leaving me on the air by myself for a few yes, minutes. Yes, yeah, I got lost. I got lost. And uh, you had to send somebody to come get me. Yep, I sound guy And then, um, like, I spent, like, th- another three hours with you over there at the studio. Yep. 
Yep, because so. you, you hung around for the band that played, which was uh, some national act from California. Yeah, they were like from San, San Francisco or something. San Francisco, God. yeah. Uh, how, do you, how do you remember that, man? That's crazy. I have no idea. <laughs> He's a metal encyclopedia. I'm yeah. not. This information just randomly, like, I'm, I'm like, it had a weird name. Apothecary. I don't know why I remember it, but that's... Yeah, that's, that's who it was, yeah. And so I think I got back to Peter Robbins' house at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. Something crazy like that. So that was quite a trip. I actually got to... That's where I met you, too, Tim. And yeah, and then you came back, and we went to Gettysburg. Yeah, yeah, we went to Gettysburg. Yeah, hung out with you, and... Yeah, it was, like, about a week later. Was that a week later? Okay. Yeah. I came back and uh, hung out with you and James. Went to that bridge. Yes, we've been... In Gettysburg. Uh, We've actually been going to that bridge multiple times. We have an upcoming special episode. We're going to do it a little differently than our normal episodes. So we've been working on it. Um, I thought that bridge was a joke because the history with it is impossible. Uh, it, you know, it's sort of one of these local legends things. And then we've been having some really strange stuff go on there. Uh, one night that bridge just went nuts on us like total poltergeist activity the bridge is banging there's banging underneath the bridge there's knocks happening all around us it was bizarre it was really really so like i think we were there like it was like seven to like probably eight o'clock at night we were hanging out there for probably like 20 30 minutes Mm -hmm. uh did you go a little later in the night yeah we've been there we've been there early we've been there late we've been usually the key is to spend a lot of time there and if there's a lot of people around it doesn't seem to not much seems to, to go down but uh, if if we can get there alone usually by you know 11 p.m midnight most people clear out and when people do show up they tend to come and they'll stay for like five minutes and then leave so uh you know you usually just wait people out but uh we've it's it's going to be quite a series we've, we've done some neat stuff there so no natural disasters down your way, just uh, supernatural ones. Yeah, I guess. I don't <laughs> Depends on the definition of disaster. Yeah. So I've been listening to, uh, been listening to strange familiars and really uh, the best one that I've, the best one lately that I heard, I got to give this lady credit. The one that uh, said she saw flannel man, uh, two different times like this entity that followed her still need to narrow it down this could be any number of my shows. wow okay well it was a pretty it was a pretty recent one and uh, it was called he just stood there oh yeah 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 yeah. okay yeah no i know what you're talking about yeah she was she was a good witness yeah i mean they're all good not not to you know but uh but yeah she had some cool stories yeah so she basically said that like she saw uh flannel man in like 1999 in the middle of like the woods or something he was just standing there and she she kind of got freaked out and kept going down the path and turned around and he had moved like you know 30 yards or whatever in in a second or two and she didn't even hear him suddenly he's standing in the path and that really freaked her out and she kind of fast walked home i think from that yeah she seemed to like have um a lot of stuff kind of following her in her life there was a lot going on there 
Well, that's the thing that keeps coming up with these these multiple experiencers where they, they tell these stories about, you know, every house they've lived in has been haunted. And at some point I just stop them and say, well, what's the common denominator here? Mm-hmm. You know, right. It's, it's you. It's not the house. You know? <laughs> not, I'm, and that's not to take a thing away from their stories. I'm just saying, maybe you know, maybe look at this at another angle. You know, I, and I think that was the case with her. I think I don't know whether she's particularly sensitive or it's just whatever. I, th- I think it, it, it was her as much as it was the locations she was in. Yeah. So she was actually here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, did she ever tell you like where that was? You can tell me off there if you want. I mean, but... she didn't give me exact. I know it was somewhere yeah. near the great Smokies, but okay. Okay. So it's East Tennessee. And she said that she saw, um, flannel man and like this, like house that was on the property, just like also staring at her. Basically went down to to help a friend of hers whose whose mom was ailing and you know she wanted a break from where she was and she she goes to stay long term with her on this property and they had a couple cabins and a main house and yeah she's walking to the woman left and she was going to pick up her daughter for her at the bus stop and she's walking to the bus stop and looks up to the main house and sees the same guy she saw in the woods staring out the window from from the house. Wow, red flannel shirt and everything, yeah. So what what do you think is going on there, Tim? Do you think that she was like, she was like attracting these things to her or just like, do you think that there was a, there was a warning that was being said or given or just like this thing is like following her around or. Well, you know, this is, this is where did the road go territory, but her, her, her life was in pretty much uh, pretty stressful upheaval. I think at least the first time and the second time she was really helping someone, I think basically transition from life to death. You know, she's basically helping this woman take care of her mother. Liminality. I'm sorry. Liminality. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, I think that's, you know, certainly part of it. I mean, that's, that's part of the the stew that makes up these encounters. You know, the other part might be her, um, I, you know, as far as what flannel man is, what this guy is, I'm, you know, I wish I had a clear answer because I'm writing a book on it. You know, it'd be really nice to have a have a you know last chapter and and tell everybody what he is, but I don't know, and uh, he just shows up at weird times for people. You know, certainly somebody, somebody needs to ask him. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I think some people have tried. I think that's what the who are the two girls that you had on your show that that are, I had oh. on too. Yes, uh, Natalie and Heather. Yes, yes. I, I think that, that's their project. They're working on on asking him. Well, that wasn't that wasn't flannel man specifically. Not specifically. That he does wear a check shirt, but it's it's not the normal color. It's, I think it's a blue checked or something instead of red. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's a different version of flannel man. Yeah, it's, he's right. in a, he's in the blue core. He's the crypt. Connect, connects connects more to fake culture. anything else that's what it kind of seemed like to me as well like there was very much like a kind of a trickster-ish kind of element to that um to that to those lady stories too Mm -hmm. much much more so than in the the story that we've been talking about well we had one on the patron show this month and it was uh it was barbara from the six degrees of john keel podcast and she said you know i had this crazy dream and had to do sort of with flannel i'm like all right you know come on and tell it. So she was on the patron show this month and she tells a story about, uh, 
waking up and she's in sleep paralysis and she sees this shadow person there, like typical, as they described shadow person, you know, darker than the night around it, kind of blacker than black thing, but it's holding a mirror. It's holding an, like an infinity mirror that looks like it goes back, you know, for, for infinity. Like you can see into it. It just looks like it goes back and back and back and back. And, uh, holding it over her husband, I think her husband's asleep and she's, she's kind of seeing this as she's in sleep paralysis. And then it turns it around and the backside of it is Buffalo plaid, red plaid, the backside of this mirror. So she's like, I don't know if that counts as flannel man or not. It's like, I- I'm counting it. This was all in a dream. A uh, sleep paralysis. So, okay. you know, so, you know, jury's yeah. out dream or yeah. not. You know, I've, people. I've been there before, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. People seem to believe they're awake when it, when it happens. And, and I mean, having had it myself, it's different than a regular dream. I'll say that. And if you want to argue that it's a dream, not much I could say about it, but it's different than a regular dream. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally conscious of your body. What do you think the symbolism of the plaid of this flannel Grunge. is? That's it. That's it. Question solved. Moving on. I mean, we joke about that, but by far, I'd say probably 70% of the Flannel Man stories I've collected have been from the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Oh, it was a common motif in the culture. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, some, some date from before and, and a lot date from after, but a lot of them do date from the 90s. Uh, you know. How, how many of them were actually Mick Foley? <laughs> all of them oh okay he, he for anyone around. who doesn't know who Mick Foley is he's a, a scruffy wrestler who always wears flannel yes well you know Tim I've come across some uh, hoodoo recipes lately for uh, that recommend using red flannel in like uh, mojo bags and stuff interesting that's really yeah. interesting R- really mm-hmm well, I guess that it's just an American motif, right? I mean, it's kind of has its own kind of archetypal kind of uh, power and influence over people. Well, that was my original thought, that it had something to do with this, you know, the great American experiment and, and right. uh, yeah. Manifest Destiny and Paul Bunyan, who is actually right. a Canadian. But, uh, <laughs> you know, th- that whole thing. Don't tell the Minnesotans that, man. Right, yeah. But... Uh, then you start getting cases from Europe and Australia and you know, you start to question that get a lot from England, uh, quite a few from Australia. So, you know, is it specifically American? I don't know the, you know, in the past it was a big thing with like Harlequins and the paranormal, you know, and they have that kind of diamond pattern. And, you know, if you just take that red check and turn it sideways, you know, it'd be black diamonds on red. So, is it something to do with the, the checkered pattern? You know, the, and that's what Keel always called it. He called it the men in checked shirts. I'm sure we're talking about the same thing. Mm. And you and Josh have explored all the, uh, the tartan stuff too. Yeah. I'm poking at it. I mean, there's, there's a lot there and, and there's depending on who you ask, they mean different things. I mean, it, it's also possible too, that it, it, even though it may have started as an American thing, it may have worked its way into the sort of collective unconscious. True. So you get the bulk of sightings in the early 90s and stuff from America, but then eventually you start seeing it in other places. Yeah. yeah. We we are good at exporting culture. (laughs) 
but it, quote, it would unquote, be on an quote. unconscious level because no, no one really pointed this out as specifically as you have. Like mm-hmm. and until you did this, Tim, no one was really talking about flannel man. Yeah, not not really at all. Nobody had any real kind of concept of it, even though there's that. Well, as I hear that weird Twin Peaks stuff. True. True. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it pops up. It, it pops up, and Keel did talk about, like I said, ghosts and check shirts and or you know men in check shirts and stuff showing up in mm-hmm. people's bedroom it's in mothman prophecies mm-hmm. and a couple of his other stuff too so it, it's there i think brad steiger talked about it somebody sent me a link recently on on an old um coast to coast or something i you know he he talked about it so you know it was there and uh by the way i got i had a guy uh contact me and told me he invented that character uh four years ago or something and, the uh, one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I said you're gonna have to go back and change your story there, buddy, because uh, I got it from some forums on the web from much earlier than that. And Allison actually went back and found the the, the forums, so they they were from 2009, 2010, something like that. So I didn't name them; I just pulled the name off that forum. That's what they were calling them there. Uh, but we started talking about them organically, you know, because. Um, that was like, you know, Allison was the big skeptic and that was what I was using as to illustrate, like, you know, even you've seen something paranormal, you've seen this flannel man. And I mentioned it kind of offhandedly on the show and then it just blew up. People started contacting me left and right. Oh, I've seen him. I've seen him. And it just snowballed from there. So it was, it was a very organic thing, you know, that, that, that we started talking about it at all. And then it, it kind of turned into, you know a, a bigger thing for us which yeah you kind you you kind of really stumbled into this yeah yeah but also too like allison uh really was kind of the root of this because she had her own weird experience a, a while back too so back way back in the 1990s mm-hmm. i wonder about the whole thing about uh him looking surprised that people can see him whether or not it's like an out-of-body traveler like I've wondered about that myself. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite possible, but you know it's not just Flannel Man. A lot of these characters that the people say you know visit their bedroom at night seem to have the same reaction when people like see them. They look surprised. Even some of these like yeah. weird like inky octopus forms people see, and they'll look at them and they'll like draw back when they when when the the inky octopus <laughs> realizes that they can see them. They'll like kind of draw back, like what you know. So. You're seeing outside the simulation. Yeah. So what you're saying, the weird inky octopus thing is just as scared of you as it is, as you are of it. Yeah. That's, that's the question, right? Whether like that reaction is partially, you know, the, the exact same thing going on on their end. And are they, they like seeing us and like, that's like the, Oh shit move, you know, on their yep. end. Yeah, it's they're like just having the, a nice inky octopus day floating around and, suddenly, and there's, suddenly there's a human looking at them. The, the, the two realities combined. And they're doing a podcast in the alternate dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, speaking of inky octopuses, uh, Soraya, I did want you to know that I watched Color Out of Space the other day. Yes. Did you enjoy yeah. it? Yeah, it was. it's a good movie. Yeah, it's intense it, as hell. It really is. Well, I mean, Nicolas Cage gives the right amount of, ca- of <laughs> the right amount of Cage rage in it, but uh, 
Also cool that it's Richard Stanley, which I think this actually is the only Richard Stanley movie that I've seen. Although I have seen the documentary about the kind of aborted making of the Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, right. Yeah. And I'd really like to see his like documentary that he did about, uh, Rin La Chateau or the South of France. He lives in like the South of France. He's supposed to be doing two more Lovecraft movies. Um, mm-hmm. I forget what the next one's going to be. Everyone wants the third one to be the, the Mountains of Madness, but who knows? Yeah, it's supposed to be. A, yeah, I was reading about that, that it's supposed to be a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, so it, that was an interesting movie. <laughs> Having watched that and uh, watched Mandy, which is another which is another uh, messed up Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy is such a metal movie; it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Have any of you guys seen seen Mandy? I've yeah, not. I saw it. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. <laughs> it's like a psychedelic death trip. You guys, you also get enough cage rage in that, you know. Walk walking around with this like like it's a weird. It's like almost like two movies in one. It's like one. Don't give it all away, Adam. What one half of the movie is like this weird movie about a cult and like, it's very slow in the, for like the first hour and like the second hour is just this like really messed up revenge movie. <laughs> and he has this Celtic frost scythe. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that where that's from? Is that, that, that like, is the Celtic frost logo. <laughs> oh my God. That's like... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the last sort of genre movie I saw was The Lighthouse, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the one about the where they disappear. It's, or no. It's the two guys alone in the in the in the White House. Yeah. The lighthouse okay. that kind of go nuts. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's very good. It's very good. It looked good. There's one that takes place in a lighthouse called Cold Skin that's also very Lovecraftian that's very good. This is by the guy who did the Vivich. Yeah, Robert Eggers. Right. Yeah. The the Vivich. Yeah, you can't call it the Witch. You call it the, the Vivich. Uh, you gotta right, call it okay, the Vivich. Okay. Yeah. Which is also which is also very, very worth seeing. Yes, the witch was great. If you like the kind of like folk horror kind of stuff. My dad sat. My dad sat down and watched. Uh, we'll get off movies here in a second, but my dad sat down and watched um, Midsummer the other night, which Oof. that is an incredible movie. Oh my god! It definitely has its, its slow crawl moments. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, for a horror movie, it's probably one of the most beautiful movies I have watched in a very, very long time. It's a, it's a great horror movie. I would never sit through it again. It's absolutely, but visually, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Absolutely. What did you think of Hereditary, Soraya? Same thing. Like, I thought it was a great horror movie. It was a little bit slow, but I would mm-hmm. never sit through it again. Really? Yeah. I, I wanted to ask everybody a question. I, I really like the genre of like a, you know, this like a cult horror, murder, etc. But after a while, it kind of gets to me that like every single context that like weird spirituality or the occult is presented in a film is like always about murdering people and sacrificing people. It's always negative. Yeah. 
and not just negative, like the worst, you know, just like, Oh, sacrifice, sacrifice. And, and, um, you know, I mean, 50, however many years later, it's like, seems to be just kind of like a trope. And I like a lot of the movies, but it's kind of, it kind of bothers me in a way. I don't know. Yeah. It kind of furthers the whole satanic panic kind of narrative that you start with like the exorcist and Rosemary's We're like, here's a group of people who have some kind of ancient traditions preserved. Right. Of right, course right. they sacrifice people. That's the, their main concern, you know? And yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I never, when I was, you know, playing, pagan fest is with stone breath i i never met a pagan who didn't love wicker man true true i love it too i think they like that danger they want not, they want that not danger. the nick not the nick cage version no let's, let's, let's caveat let's <laughs> let's caveat that that's one of the few really bad movies from nick cage <laughs> i think people like that air of danger associated with them that 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 you know they, yeah. there's something dangerous mm-hmm I recently watched all the. Uh, I'd never even heard of it. I forgot who, who talked about it. But I watched the the Children of the Stones. That's really cool. Oh, that like series. A, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a there's actually a BBC Three podcast version of that. That's excellent. Oh, really? Okay. Cool. Yes. Like an audio drama. Yep. Isn't that an older thing, Sergio? Yeah. 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 Seventies, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The series, yeah. the film series, was, or the TV series was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen anyone like talking about ley lines so much in a in a <laughs> series or film. It's pretty cool. They did some cool series. The Owl Service is another cool one. We watched that. The Owl Service? The Owl Service is another BBC series from the seventies, I think, early seventies. Okay. It has that same kind of vibe to it. It's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. Well, I was just wondering what you guys thought about that, because it's I don't know, like you never see this stuff presented in any other form, it seems. Well, I mean you know, I, on one hand, I get it because it's like I often say, you know, we have a lot of antique shops that have either oddity shops in them or specific oddity shops around here. Yeah. And people are like attracted to the grotesque. Well, you can't walk into one without them having a ton of Catholic stuff. And yeah. and as a Catholic, I I walk in, I go, my religion is not your oddity. Like you, Like this is on one level, it's like, stop it. Stop doing that. On the other, it's like, I don't care. You're not going to hurt it. By do- you know what I mean? Like, it's like the greater part of me is like, go ahead, sell the stuff in your audio show. I don't care. But part of, there is a part of me that sees that and goes, you wouldn't do that to with Muslim stuff. Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that with Islamic things and call it an oddity. You call it, you know, something else, but you wouldn't put it in your dark oddity shop. But, shop, but Catholic stuff's fair game. Part of me is like, sees that and goes, eh. But then the other part of me is like, well, they're not, you know, whatever. You can't hurt it. This stuff's pretty invulnerable. Go ahead and sell it in your oddity shop. I'm done. Right. Plus, plus, what kind of horror movie would it be if, uh, you know, no one died? Right. Well, well, I mean, why don't we have like a, a Norse pagan, like romantic comedy or something? You know? <laughs> well, there. so there was the one that uh, Kevin Smith did, Red State, that was a horror movie about a cult, but it was a Christian cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Bandy... Uh, they're like a Jesus freak cult, but they're like hooked to LSD. They're like, so they're, but they're, but they're still like, they're described as Jesus freaks. So you do, you do see some movies like that, but yeah, for the most part, they're still kind of like, it's just whatever it's what sells like the weird occult kind of stuff and tinging it and making it look like it's negative. I mean, Jim uh, Jones took out a lot more people than Charlie Manson did. Like yeah, just, we're just taking tallies there. 
Right, 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 right. That's that's well, did, did Charlie Manson actually kill anyone himself? Well, uh, I, let, let's say he convinced <laughs> those people to do it. I'm not, he, you know, that right. I never killed anybody. I got friends that kill people. I've always had friends that kill people. <laughs> do the hand movements or I'm out. <laughs> good old, good, good old, good old Charlie, man. Um, so I wanted to run this guy, this by you guys. Uh, this is just kind of like a simple story. Like I said, I got a couple stories and I really, uh, I really kind of geek out on the reincarnation stuff. It's something that I haven't really explored very much on this show. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Um, so where's the cat coming from? That would be me. Uh, that's, that's what I figured. The strange familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is that, Soraya? That is Jack. Jack can be very, very vocal. How many cats do you have over there? Just two. Just two? Okay. I thought you had more for some odd reason. So, um, this young mother on TikTok, which is a platform that I refuse to use. Oh, I've seen uh, your videos on there, dancing around. Oh, uh, no, you, you caught me. Lip syncing. Lip syncing to... <laughs> Ariana Grande or whatever. Yeah, I, I was lip syncing to uh, "Never Gonna Give You Up," "Never Gonna Let You Down." Uh, which, by the way, I saw on Facebook tonight. Somebody took like did that. They're doing like that deep fake thing where like you animate the the faces, mm-hmm. and they did like H.P. Lovecraft singing that. It was bizarre. <laughs> All right, so a TikToker has been left horrified after her four year old daughter gave a detailed description of working at the Twin Towers on nine eleven. Don't worry, Soraya, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Responding to another TikTok, which said, tell me a time when your child told you a a past life story, Riss White opened up about a disturbing account given by her young daughter a couple of years ago. On September 11, 2018, Riss had been scrolling through social media and came across some 9-11 memorial posts. One of these posts showed an image of the Twin Towers, which appeared to strike a familiar chord with her daughter. Uh, So the little girl pointed to one of the towers. Riss believed it was the North Tower and said, hey, mom, I used to work there. When Riss asked her when this was, her daughter simply responded, before. And Riss said, she said that one day she was working and the floor got really hot, so she stood on her desk because the floor was too hot. And she said that her and her friends were trying to get through the door, but they couldn't open the door. So she jumped out of the window and flew like a bird. Riss then went on to clarify that the child had never before heard about 9-11, making the details of her story all the more eerie. Uh, And then there's another uh, little small account from another, another lady said, when one of my kids was three, she randomly turned to me and said, hey, mommy, remember that time I was an old lady and got hit by a car and died? I've heard this one. Um and another mother said they comment and said, my daughter is four and told me so many times that her and her two other girls f- fell in water and sank to the bottom, then fell asleep. And now she's here. Yep. Okay. So this is something that, um, I am like deeply, deeply fascinated in. It's very uh, common. We talked about this, uh, on a Patreon episode, Serfiel and I did when, uh, we talked about the, uh, uh, what's that life after death documentary that's on Netflix? You guys know what I'm talking about. Surviving death. 
there's actually a whole episode about this where they talk to Dr. Jim Tucker, who's pretty much the foremost researcher in the United States about this. Yeah, he's been researching this for, for decades. Yeah, he was a protege of Ian Stevenson, who actually uh, studied a lot of the cases in India that said that they were um, of children claiming that they were actually uh, re- Oh, they had lived a past life. That's a little different because those kids could be primed for it there, since it's part of the religious system. It's part of it's part of the religious system. But, but it's here, more interesting here when you're when right. you're not really primed with it, right? But of course, there the parents just kind of take it as a matter of course. Yeah, I'm sure that there's no, and of course we've like we've talked about before, like that's how they choose the the Dalai Lamas, right? Yeah. Um, they go and they bring like certain, um, possessions of the former Dalai Lama. And apparently the child picks those possessions. And then they know that that's the reincarnation of the former Dalai Lama. Um, so the Dalai Lama just keeps getting reincarnated and reincarnated. But, you know, this, I mean, I'd like to get you guys thoughts about this And, and like Tim, uh, I mean, you you have children. Do you ever experience anything like that? Was there anything weird that you like that was said? Because I think that this happens more than people think it does, but it probably gets, you know, filed away in our in our brains, and we don't we don't think about it. Uh, I know I know a friend of mine said that her little boy said something really weird to her and she actually texted me and said, my son said really something really weird because she knows I'm into this stuff. And she was like, and I was like, well, it could be what it is. I mean, see if you can find out some more info. Back in the, in the heady days of having a day job. Um, Oof. Yeah. Uh, one day I was, I think I was at work and my son was very young then. And Allison told me that that he pointed over by the door and said, said, Daddy's standing there. And Allison's like, uh, is he? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he's wearing this. I had a certain shirt with cassette tapes all over the front of it. Just, just a graphic pattern of cassette tapes. And he said, I was wearing that shirt. And, uh, I've never, my, my lovely, dear skeptic wife has never let me wear that shirt again since. <laughs> it, fr- wow. it, it freaked her out a lot, huh? So I was either bi-locating or something. And then another time he pointed to the corner of the room and said there was a blue woman, a blue Mary, mm-hmm. which you may explain by, you know, I have tons of pictures of, of the Virgin Mary around. So <laughs> it may, may or may not have been the Virgin Mary, uh, or that might've just been the word he used to describe her. So there was a blue Mary in the corner and, uh, he he has sleep paralysis stuff now and i'm not allowed to talk about it too much but but one time one of the things he did said he saw was a blue woman so who uh he won't he knows i love this stuff so he just doesn't give me that much information on it he handles it way better than i do he's very matter of fact about his sleep paralysis stuff but he talks about basically these visitors coming to see him all the time and i'm dying for him to tell me and he won't he won't he just you know, he withholds this information. Does he take it as a kind of like a matter of course or something? Is that what it? He's, he's very matter of fact about it. He's very yeah. like, 
right no big, no big deal and and won't won't tell it like i try to get him to come on the show and tell his stuff he won't do it he's not interested in doing that but uh that sort of blue female character did make make another appearance you know which which reminded me of you know that thing he said he saw in the corner when he was young but that was the only like really like stuff that makes you go huh when they were mm-hmm. little right sarai you got any thoughts on any of that well or i mean as stuff? far as as far as kids remembering past lives I, I i don't know any other explanation that can fully explain that i mean the the, the best other two that I could even come up with would be that they're somehow focusing in on information the rest of us are not. But it seems weird that it would be just about one person. Or the spirit of somebody is attaching themselves to this child and giving them that information and they're confused what's them and what's not. I think the yeah. simplest explanation is they were actually that person and what they're telling us actually happened. I mean, yeah. th- these cases have been verified. I mean, people have found who the, pr- the kid is talking about when they've gone looking. If they have enough information, they can actually find that, yes, this person existed. Uh, the most famous one is the one they did the documentary, The Boy Who Lived Before, uh, where he went out to the – he was a World War II pilot, he said. Yeah, that's James Lo- James Leininger. Yeah. Yeah, and he died in the Pacific, and he was able to identify the other people in his his group from back then. You know, like he walked right up to them like they were old friends. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, there may be something else going on that we just don't understand. But I think lacking any other information, the easiest explanation is these people are reincarnated. Right. Does it seem like there's a um, like overabundance of uh, I guess to say in, in important type of people um, versus just like regular. Is there a lot of just like regular Joe's? Like I was just some guy who worked at a factory. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard someone say they're a reincarnation of anyone famous in that. In like well, from a kid's not like that, but like you know a, a World War II pilot or a, a, like was in that documentary. Me and Adam watched like a. a a Hollywood person was pretty low level, but still like, you know, something. Yeah. Well, they had to do some serious digging though, to find him. Yeah. That was really interesting. Tucker did some serious digging to find that guy. Now, when you use hypnosis to recover past lives, you get lots of Cleopatra's and hypnosis hypnosis creates memories. It doesn't recover them. That's what it reminded me of. And a lot of like the early spiritualism would be like channeling historical figures. We've got Napoleon on the line. He says, blah, blah. And I don't think channeling is an example of contact with life after death. I, I just don't. Um, I don't know exactly what it is because it seems like we are contacting something, but the information that comes from these contacts is pretty banal. You know, it's, it's just basic, simple stuff. They're not giving us the, the answers to the universe or anything. Um, ex- with, except with rare exceptions like Jane Roberts, Seth, who actually gives you practical instructions on how you can manipulate reality that work. I do. I knew Seth was coming. I knew Seth was coming. Seth is the exception if, to if the rule. If, if, if you have Soraya on, Seth is <laughs> going to get mentioned. But yeah, yeah, the channeling stuff in that, like we talked about this in that episode, the Patreon episode we did. The channeling stuff was the least uh, valid to me in that whole entire documentary. Um. And it and and oddly enough, it was the most focused on. There were like two episodes about it, 
But Serfiel, you know, says that you can't ignore that because that is part of the history. Well, and like my take is that there might be a lot of other things going on that um, it's creating this laboratory and by like priming everybody, um, you know, toward belief with things like, a, you know, them seeing a person talking in different voices or or even, you know, little trickery going on. They might be actually accomplishing some other kind of weird spiritual thing or creating other phenomenon. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's a form of psi is what it is. And whether or not there's another entity involved is hard to say, but I mean that's hard to say with any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What what about the Seth material really strikes you as being valid? Oh god. Sorry. I mean the, the fact I don't know if he, I don't know if I've ever really asked you this. So I dismissed channeling all out. I mean, what channeling I had seen were things like Ramtha and stuff like that. I picked up a Seth book oh, for yeah. like a buck at a used well, bookstore. Rafa and Jay Z Knight, there's a there's an agenda there, but you know. And at the same time, her brainwaves do alter when she's channeling, which is interesting. So there's something yeah. legitimate going on, regardless of what the agenda might be. Um, so uh, I started reading through Seth Speaks because I was researching near death experiences, and people kept referencing Seth, but not any of these other channels. Which is like, why does Seth keep coming up? So finally, I. I opened up the book to the section on uh, what happens when you die and realized that in 1971, he was describing basically what people report in near-death experiences. Moody's book didn't come out till 1976. Yeah. Not only that. That's, that's life after life. Right. And yeah. he didn't, and he wasn't, and Seth was also pointing out little things like, People don't all die at the same time. There's no specific point of death. Some people leave their bodies before they're dead. Some stay in their bodies long after they're dead, which then, you know, was was lining up perfectly with new research that was being done in the late 90s, where a heart surgeon was like, it's weird because some of these people didn't die. Like, and they still had a near-death experience, whereas others died and some died and didn't have a near-death experience. And I'm like, son of a bitch, she just explained that back in 1971. Mm-hmm. Because that was always one of the things that was, to me, was like, why are people, why doesn't everyone have a near-death experience? Yeah. At, at this point, I would say that's probably part of it. I think part of it is that the near-death experience is also a spiritual experience that helps us here. Because people have these experiences, they come back changed. So maybe they were just on the wrong path and they needed to be corrected in some way. Um, You know, I mean, if you look at Shirley's stuff, she was, you know, going in one direction with her life. And after her near-death experience, she went in a completely different direction in her life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's very similar to alien contact and alien abduction too and that yes it tends to change people so the same effect is going on with both phenomena i wouldn't be i would probably say that they're really one and the same in well in, there, in there's, there's something connecting them yeah right right i mean that that was the thing that broke my the 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 nuts and bolts hold over me was kenneth ring's book on that but the other stuff with seth is like you know at one point Okay, so what a Crowley's things was beware lust for result. So his thing is like, you know, do your magical ritual and then just forget about it. 
And I always thought that doesn't make any sense. Like, wouldn't you want to focus energy on it to make it happen? And here's Seth talking about how we how we form reality around us, saying how we don't do it consciously. These these conscious images need to drop to the unconscious to actually have any effect. And I'm like, son of a bitch, did he just explain lust for result? There's a lot of stuff in the Seth books that 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 paired up with stuff we didn't know about when she was channeling this stuff back in the late sixties and early seventies. And I, and I tried to debunk it. I'm like, okay, so there's, there's gotta be stuff out there. And I mean, occasionally you'll see some of the ideas floating around in, in rare places, but there's a lot of stuff in the Seth books that we didn't know about back then that he's talking about through her. Yes. And, and none of it was like, oh, that's just completely wrong. He also didn't claim to be omniscient. Uh, you know, Jane Roberts herself said, I don't know what Seth is. It could just be a part of my unconscious mind. I have no idea. Um, I remember when I talked to George Hansen about it, she had said, or Seth says that the be the being that she's channeling is a part her and a part him. That they're not, you know, that he can't talk through her without some of her biases and things like that. And Hansen said, yep, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how channeling works. Yeah, there's a symbiotic relationship going on. Right. So yeah. he would always say, you know, some of this is being is not coming out the way I want to say it because Jane's biases on this stuff is uh, is altering. Right. Little plus known I fact. Plus, plus I don't for, know everything. Little known fact, lust for results, early Iggy Pop outtake. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting yeah okay <laughs> oh yeah. Lust for life was the e-pop song <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 hey tim uh something i was thinking about really quick with all that like in out-of-body experiences certain psychedelic experiences alien contact you have this uh th these trans transformations of people but what about like bigfoot and some of these other things uh, are are there those like transformative type of experiences where Bigfoot comes along and your life changes? I mean, there are, but they're rare. They're, yeah. they're nowhere near as common as, as the UFO contact experience. And that's the big question. You know, when we do these, you know, uh, surveys, like where the footprints end, where we, where we take these different paranormal things and, and look at them and then look at the Bigfoot experience, you know, there, there are some stumbling blocks and certainly one of them, is is that that's one of the ones we noticed that it does happen you can find cases where people's lives have been changed where you know it's very much has that those components to it but they are in the minority you know the a, a lot of the times um the end result is just basically somebody's afraid to go in the woods or they stop hunting for the rest of their life they don't have these these like great life-changing yeah, you know, yeah where they become artists where they weren't before or whatever the case is like he's just kind of there on the periphery for most of them yeah yeah and and, and this might be you know, something to do with what, what the wild man is or represents versus what these, these other things are or represent. You but know? then there are those experiences where Bigfoot is kind of like this, uh, this messenger for the earth. That's almost like a lot of the contactee stuff with like, look, you humans are messing up, destroying the environment and, you know. Right. So those would be the ones that are more transformative. Yeah. Often, often those are like, those people have really had a, you know, kind of a, a moment and uh but yeah 
you know, so what is it? I don't know. I, you know, like at this point, I'm kind of playing with the idea of, of Sasquatch being representative of our past self mm-hmm. and, and the, the grays sort of being representative of our future self, like all in one yeah. spectrum kind of thing. Um, it's not that simple. You know, the stuff is that simple, yeah. but you know, that's sort of shorthand for, for the kind of ideas I'm playing with as far as what these, these sort of archetypes represent. Cause we're always exploring these similarities, but that's, that's one facet that is, does not seem similar. Yeah. It doesn't have, I mean, that's, you know, if you, if you make the big Venn diagram, that's going to be, that area is going to be one of the few that, that, you know, it crosses over, but the, the, the sort of shared space isn't, isn't that much. But I guess ghosts aren't as much like that either. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Well, ghosts probably encompass a whole variety yeah. of experiences. Hey, Soraya, um, I have a family member who recently saw a plasma-like, uh, what they believed was like a craft or looked like a jellyfish in the sky. I know you've been talking about uh, plasma for a while, intelligent plasma. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, when I when I read her, her account, that was the first thing I thought about. Yeah. Um, so she says that she saw along with another person, this like uh jellyfish like thing in the sky that kind of just was like tumbling over and really strange. She didn't use the word plasma, but I asked her, would, you know, plasma be a good word to describe it? And like, both of them were like, bingo. Yeah. That's exactly what we felt like we saw. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with the the real anomalies people see in the sky. Plus, the, oh, I don't know if I can get the article up right now, but there's uh, the military is apparently working on creating plasma objects. Let's see if I saved it. Okay, I don't think it was that uh, far away from a military installation, too. Well, it's what Santa Cruz, something like that. Find, find out what's around there. Here it is, Southern California. I mean, there's a lot of military installations there. Does the Navy's missile fooling plasma tech explain recent UFO sightings? Uh, the U.S. Navy recently patented a method for creating 3D images in midair using plasma. Hmm. The technology is used is meant to create a heat source drawing uh, hostile infrared guided missiles away from their targets. It could also yeah. be theoretically okay. partially responsible for a series of UFO sightings reported by Navy striker fire strike fighter pilots in 2004 and again in 2014 to 2015 yeah i think if we're hearing about it they already have it yeah right you know it's it reminds me reminds me that um that like glimmer man technology that we were talking about that that the military absolutely has you know the aspect of the technology that raises eyebrows, however, is the use of laser-induced plasma filaments to create floating images in the air. It is possible to generate a 2D or 3D volumetric image in space. This is analogous to rastering of an electron beam in a cathode ray tube-based television. One potential embodiment, a laser sy- system would be mounted on the back of an air vehicle, such as the beam can be rastered using optics and mirrors to generate a large ghost image in space. This hmm. ghost image would appear to detract, uh, yeah, detract the homing missile away from the tangible air vehicle. Mm. Wow. So who knows how long something like that has been. Yeah. In at least testing. 2004 was the same time as the Nimitz. That was the year the Nimitz sighting happened. 
So yeah, I think that's what they were referencing. Think, think that that could be like a one of those plasma things? It could be. I mean, it could yeah. have been. It could have been any number of things. I, I suspect, partially because they released it, that it's probably our technology. Right. Right. I think if it was a genuine unknown, and I'm sure they have them, I don't think they're going to release that. It's weird. They they want this information. They don't want people to figure this out because they yeah. probably don't know what it is either. I think they're crowdsourcing where people are seeing these things so they can figure out if it's one of theirs or a Russian or Chinese thing. True. Yeah, that's that's what I think honestly is going on. Yeah, because they they want to know who's messing around, and it's they're not they're not concerned about it being spacemen from another planet. They're concerned about it being Russian or Chinese, and they they want to know where it is and where people are seeing them, and then they can go, okay, we were there that night. That was us. Don't say anything. They don't need to know that. But you know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Sergio, you had another story that you wanted to drop on us. Yeah, I've seen uh, people re- revisiting this Dyson Sphere stuff. I've been seeing this stuff get shared again. That's uh, the so. vacuum cleaner thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, I think it's like a vacuum cleaner of consciousness and, and energy. Of Before the, uh, we go into that, though, I, I did want to state that there does seem to be something with plasma related to these weird experiences. Um Andrew Collins wrote a great book called Light Quest that talks exactly, that postulates that UFOs are basically plasma intelligence. And he makes a very solid argument for it. It doesn't necessarily encompass, I mean, it could encompass encompass everything, but it, it has a lot of like, we don't know if this is real type of stuff, like ideas, theoretical ideas type of things. Um, but they do, in a lot of cases, I mean, plasma can look like metal craft, uh, as well as lights. And lights are the main thing we see in all of these encounters. Right, right, exactly. I mean, that's one of the, um, that was one of the things that was used to debunk the Travis Walton case, is he got, like, zapped by some kind of plasma. I mean, I think that's kind of what you think about it. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I, I don't remember them saying that. Um, but yeah, I think he, he may have been, he got discharged from a very large plasma of some sorts. And that area is low, is like one of the areas that has the highest number of lightning strikes in the U S. So having an extraordinarily large ball of plasma there, isn't that much of a stretch. And if you get hit with that much electricity, it may not kill you, but it is going to impair your ability to create short term memories for quite a while. Well, see, the thing is, it's just like people, people talk about like ball lightning as if it's like, oh, it's just ball lightning. But like, Sergio, you said you've seen ball lightning and it's like, I'm sure that's weird as hell in and of itself. Yeah. I don't know if it is ball lightning. I think is more paranormal, but it very well could have been. I watched, I watched the storm right next to our house. Like where you can see the thunderhead, like the side of the thunderhead from my house and there was ball lightning just zipping in and out of it it was crazy and i wish i had a camera back then what does it look like i mean just it looked like a ball of lightning with like like arcs of energy moving around it and it was big (laughs) they did it didn't appear solid it was almost like you could see through it or no it was it was bright it was very bright it was like yellowish white 
Weird. But it was balls, and it would move out of the Thunderhead and then go back into the Thunderhead. And I don't know if it was just one ball of ball of it doing this, or if there were numerous. But we, you know, I sat here with my mom, and we saw a ton of them. Crazy! Wow. Guess we had on Strange Familiars uh, two weeks ago. I think we saw the phasing Bigfoot. She said she saw ball lightning come into her house one time. And it, it glided along, I guess it was a metal like handle or something on the stove. And it kind of went to that, glided along that, jumped to the sink, and then out the window again. But, you know, just right through her house. Yeah. So, like, how big wow. is it? Is it just this big floating orb? Like, I mean. I think she said it was like, she says on the show, and I might have this wrong, but I think she said like softball size. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So it, but it kind of like jumped up. Yeah, it sounds like it followed like followed like metal things. Metal. You know, it went from one metal thing to another, almost like you know, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And what were the were there like storm conditions outside? Or I think so. I think so. Yeah, I interview so many guests that I tend to lose the details. And other than like, I remember her phasing Bigfoot account perfectly because because Bigfoot. But uh, <laughs> yeah. of, of course, of course. Like I, I tend to lose some of the details of some of the stuff because, like, I'm seriously, you know, sometimes it's three, four, five interviews a week. I'm talking to people. That could go with what I saw because, like, one of the things that made me think it was paranormal when I saw it is that it like rushed through this backyard and like seemed to hop over a a metal fence. Yeah, she but, was kind of um, as as far as it being paranormal or not. She was kind of on the fence a little bit. She was kind of like, you know, hey. People say that's just ball lightning, but do we know what, you know, if, if ball lightning isn't something more than it is? You know, she was kind of uh, we don't agnostic. Know what ball light- we don't know what ball lightning is. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Mysterious. Yeah, we, we, we just know it happens. Right. But other than that, like, what what is it? What is it really? Like, what causes the light to become a ball, to become an orb? Like, why, why does... Yeah, like why does it happen? Like like I get that it's like attracted to metal. I mean that makes sense, but like what is the effect of how it occurs? Do they I mean do they know? Uh I know they I, they can create it in a, I think in the lab at this point. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're saying they a lot now. We got, we got I know, I know. <laughs> the s- scientists. Scientists can create it in a lab. I believe researchers, they got that ball lightning. That doesn't mean that it, it explain like, because they can create it under controlled conditions. It doesn't explain why it pops up in non-controlled conditions. If that makes sense. Like yeah. there's so many different factors because sometimes, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, stormy night. Like what I saw was coming out of the storm, but other times it's a perfectly calm uh, night. Right with, right. with nothing going on. Um, the other thing is that uh, I completely forgot what the other thing was. Oh, you got stuff like the Marfa lights, you know, or the Brown Mountain lights, which also seem to be plasma formations in specific areas. So, uh, you know, we don't understand yeah. what that is either. Yeah, some people think that it's caused by tecton by by tectonics, and it could be. Yeah, I'm sorry. Researchers and scientists think no, that it's caused okay. by just plate tectonics. They got all kinds hey, of stuff. They got the that Illuminati. Ball I heard they got it. Co- <laughs> yeah. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. They got and you get earthquake lights too. And, uh, and Paul Devereaux also showed that more, the majority of UFO sightings in the UK were happening along fault lines. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's a connection there between all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I've, 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 I've heard, heard that. that. I've, I've definitely, definitely heard, heard that, that before. before. Electromagnetism. So Dyson spheres. Yeah. This is a little, this is a little bigger than your normal ball lightning. Yes. This is a, a giant, um, structure that would encompass uh, an entire star or solar system. I think, I think it's an older idea, but, uh, this stuff's kind of getting kicked up around again because of this transhumanist Russian guy named Alexei Turchin, um, has been talking about this, uh, project he's had for a while called a uh, roadmap to immortality. And I'll read a little something about this. This is from Nerdist because the popular mechanics article is behind a paywall. So we'll just read this one here. Uh, Russian life extensionist Alex Turchin experienced the loss of a classmate firsthand when he was young. Ever since, he's been on a mission to figure out how to make humans like Greek gods immortal. And the latest iteration of the transhumanist roadmap to immortality involves, of course, a veritable sci-fi blend of superintelligent AI universe simulations and Dyson spheres, the hypothetical mega structures that completely encompass stars. Uh, Turchin and fellow transhumanist Maxim Chernyakov outlined several future paths toward immortality in a paper they recently self-published. The paper, which comes via Popular Mechanics, is called Classification of Approaches to Technological Resurrection and offers several ways people could theoretically not only defy death, but more fantastically come back from the dead. So there's this like uh, multi-row flow chart with their... Uh, their immortality roadmap here. But I thought the, uh, the stuff about Dyson spheres was kind of interesting. I'm going to just skip ahead to that. Well, you know, the, the problem with Dyson spheres is that the amount of material to yeah. make a Dyson sphere is just completely unrealistic. It seems like just such an old idea. And 
the thing that I was thinking is that, uh, you know, it's, it's like this idea, some of the singularity ideas in transhumanism as well, that, uh, eventually we will turn all matter into a computational device, but really, um, you know, with a lot of spiritual people and people, uh, into quantum physics as well, the universe, I think is already pretty much one giant computational d- device, right. you know? Uh, but yeah, it just seems so like uh, kind of hokey and and you know really old science fictiony that you would need to harness the energy of an entire sun, and that a civilization is going to necessarily want to exponentially keep growing in population or need for resources. It's just like all these assumptions that seem really rooted in like old industrial civilization. Yeah. You know, there's there's a, a cool uh, podcast called The Bridge. And it's uh, the idea that in an alternate world, they built a bridge across the Atlantic Ocean. And the, it's, it's, a, it's a good podcast, although they hardly ever update it. And I, and I thought about that and I thought, ah, a bridge across the Atlantic. And I'm like, there'd be a lot of issues because of, you know, plate tectonics and stuff like that. I'm like, but can you imagine the amount of resources like material they would need to build a bridge like that you're like that's that's you know a normal bridge is bad enough but across the atlantic would be an astonishing amount of material and then expand that to a dyson sphere covering you know a a solar system yeah where is that going to come from another solar system and even that wouldn't be enough because i mean that the the solar system you know is compressed into planets and stuff so i mean it's, it's it's a crazy idea that just I mean the amount of 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 stuff you would need to make it work is pretty much impossible. I was dating a woman in college, and um, uh, we were laying around one day, and I said, uh, "Yes, I want to go to to the UK," and and she says, "Okay, let's go," and I said, "All right, can we can we drive your car?" And she looked at me and she goes. Can, can you really drive there? <laughs> and I said, haven't you ever heard of the London Bridge? Oh, said, shit. Is that what that is? And I said, yeah, you just, just hop on the London Bridge and drive on over. Oh, Americans. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> she was a very nice person. <laughs> Americans. Wow. There is this really cool uh, manga called Blame. And it is about this like AI ran mega structure that extends like out of the earth, I guess that is just like building itself outward constantly. So there are like little human cultures within it who this thing is so huge that they, you know, develop separately. And of course there's like all kinds of like mixing with, um, machines and and whatnot, you know, weird classes of, of people and stuff who live in this thing. But like this, the main character is like traveling, you know, what through, you know, almost like what would be equivalent to like the earth, but it's just like through this giant mega structure that just keeps building itself outward uh, to eventually, I, I think like their goal is to eventually, 
somehow like hack into this AI to stop it or something. So it's, it's a really cool manga called blame. And I'm not even like really into too much manga or Japanese animation, but the, the concept is just really, really cool. And it's great artwork. Interesting. What is, what's your take on the transhumanist stuff, Soraya? I've never really heard you. I don't know if I've heard you talk about it. I think the idea of putting ourselves into machines is not going to work. I think this is a materialist idea that, they, they think that we are our brains and it drives me crazy because there's literally no evidence for that. Right. 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 And it's it does, like, right. it's like, Oh, we'll just download ourselves into computers. And it's like, mm-hmm. so you might be able to download some level of what you are into a computer, but that's not you. You know, I don't know what we are. I don't know what parts, you know, how much of a person can you take away and it's still them. Um, you see when people get transplants of like, you know, different organs and stuff, they oftentimes pick up some of the traits of the person they got the organ from, which suggests, suggests sort of a holographic sort of existence that, you know, the, the, the whole is more than the sum of its parts and that all the parts contain a part of the whole. But if consciousness, I mean, if consciousness was generated by the brain, then I guess you could copy the brain and put it into a computer if you had an advanced enough computer. And that's the idea they're going with. And I just, I don't think that's the case. I think the brain is just a processor of this reality for our, whatever our consciousness really is. At least on a greater scale. So this researcher, I think his, their whole plan that they've got this roadmap is that, they can achieve immortality by uh, 2,100 through, uh, but it's dependent on the help of strong AI to give unlimited lifespan upgrade and create realistic simulations of artificial life, eventually leading to the colonization of the solar system and galaxy, and then to explore the universe, I guess. It's just, it's it's weird stuff. It seems like a real... Um, real ancient quest that has been um, the foolishness of which has been detailed in uh, many ancient (laughs) texts. Like there, there's a a podcast called everlasting stories. And the guy uh, wrote one of the stories, I think it's called Titan. I can't remember. Um, But the basic gist of the story, he's just reading the story. Um, but they had created an AI that was sophisticated enough that consciousness came into it. And I liked that idea. That was really interesting because one of the characters is talking to this, this AI and he's like, well, you know, what's the first thing you remember? And he goes, Oh, well, and he, he's going on about how he can remember his whole former life, like that he died as a human and then he reincarnated in this AI because it was enough to hold his consciousness. And I was like, okay, I'm all right with that idea. (laughs) Like that's an interesting concept. Well, then the question would be when you create something like that, if it is some kind of, you know, uh, vehicle for consciousness to come through, is that necessarily going to be the same thing that we are? No, it would be different because it would have a different – it would have, first of all, a more reliable memory, for one. Uh, it wouldn't process things the same way. So, yeah, it would experience reality differently. But, I mean, is 
if there is any kind of, you know, uh, particularity or like sacredness to us and like the body and our, what we know of biology, you know, if we're, if biology is like this interface for whatever to come through that we are, you know, like if we create something different, uh, it just terrifies me. Like, what is that? You know, what's going to come through and, and, it's it's view of reality would be probably very different than ours. Yeah. There wouldn't be a lot of natural empathy there because it's it's it would be processing things completely differently. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have the connection to the world around it like we do. And I mean most of our connections have been cut off anyway, unless you look at, you know, more uh native tribes and stuff who are still at in touch with uh, nature in the, you know, the world around them. Right. Exactly. Not, not that I'm anti-technology. I love technology. I think technology sure. is amazing, but I think that we can at the same time also reconnect with the natural world better. Yeah. Just yeah, like we, with like the, the singularity ideas that they want to like turn all matter into computation. I mean, it, it probably already is. It just seems like so much of this is like, missing the point and maybe the more we actually understand about ourselves the science allows us to do that you know we'll kind of realize that this is kind of backwards like making a matrix within the matrix man <laughs> exactly. well, 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 well here's the thing is any of this stuff really going to happen or is it just no. kind of just on the drawing board no you know, and, it's and just, like it just seems like it's just ideas i mean that's all it that's all it really seems i actually like. met i met a kid like eight years ago when in a, in a job like he was like 19 or something and he was like some little hacker kid you know and he like literally said oh no i'm not gonna die like he was like totally transhumanist. That was his thing, you know? And uh, he's just like convinced he's not going to die. And I'm just like, Oh my God. When I first met someone like that, you know, this like really young guy, I was, I couldn't believe it. Seems very unhealthy. Seems yes. like a very, it's like, yes. you, you could die tomorrow, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. it also seems like a cult kind of mentality too. Yeah. It, it absolutely is religious, bit, you, know? you know? Yeah. Right. It's its own, it's its own religion. Remember that thing that we went to? Like it was like the the that Christian transhumanist thing that we went to, Serfiel. Yeah, I do, I do. And I was just like, I I didn't know. I was like, it just was so. I like they were just trying. They were just trying to use as big of words as possible to where it just was. <laughs> but really, it, you know, like we've explored before, the the Russian cosmos. It, they have these type of ideas that are now called transhumanism, but they had them integrated into uh, Orthodox Christianity. Like they had this weird, yeah, you know, model of it that right. we are doing God's work right. and we're going to resurrect everybody. And so in effect, we're going to do, you know, what's promised in the Bible and everyone's going to, everyone who ever lived is going to come back to life. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out the way to do it. Yeah. That's kind of what they said. Right. Right. Then I think most of them probably ended up in the gulag. Yeah, they probably did. Uh, let's, uh, we need to talk about Jeff Ritzman. Um, Soraya, I never had Jeff on my show. I know you had him on a bunch of times and I think Tim, you had him on, uh, as well. Right. Yeah. I had him on for a brief segment, but we, we ended up talking 
after that, I think probably for about three or four hours. Just that sounds about right. Off really? recording, yeah. Yeah. So just kind of you guys' memories of him, like what happened. Um, you know, it was very, very sudden. Yeah, extremely away. sudden. He was, uh, the, I found him not through Paratopia, which was his, you know, podcast. I'd never heard of it. I found right. him through Project Archivist because he did a, a, seg- a show on Project Archivist talking about his experiences. And I listened to that and I said, I need to talk to this guy. This guy's a, you know, really fascinating. And there's, there's stuff we share here in these experiences. And so I contacted him, you know, after doing a little research and realizing he was kind of a big deal and all this stuff and i'm like oh he's not going to answer me and he got right back to me he's like i'd love to talk to you and i'm like cool so the the first time i had him on we did a three-part segment on his experiences we may have talked about an hour to start and then we did a three-part segment and then we talked for another like i think at at the end it was like five and a half hours and we were going to stop and then i found out that he was into metal and then we talked for another hour, hour and a half or something like that. And I was using Pamela at the time to record. And Pamela apparently stops at the six hour mark and the file crashed. I remember that program. Yeah. And so I was like, I got done. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, we were on for almost seven hours. Holy crap. And I went to play it and just, you know, open it up and audition or whatever. And it wouldn't open. And I'm like, uh, where's my file? And finally, I found out that Pamela would play it. Nothing else would play it. Everything else thought it was 10 seconds long, even though it was four gigabytes, because it must not have encoded the end a bit to tell it the file was done. But Pamela would play it. So I ended up just playing it on Pamela and recording it on Audition. And I just went to bed. I'm like, all right, at least I have it. I'm not going to complain, you know? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, we connected immediately. And I had him on a ton of times in 2017. First, the, the next time I had him on actually was with Tim when Tim was considering getting hypnosis. And I think Jeff completely talked you out of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I just I had him on with Greg uh, Bishop a few times. I had him. The last time I had him on was to talk about Lodge 49 because that had become an obsession of his. He loved that show. Um, prior to that, I think he was on talking about Gettysburg and some ghost hunting he was doing there with mm-hmm. some 3D rendering that. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, his his big things were Star Wars, the paranormal, metal, particularly Iron Maiden. He was a yeah, huge he was a, Iron Maiden fan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and Lodge 49 at the end. I mean, he was a great artist, too. I mean, he was just phenomenal on the stuff he did. But a lot of the ideas he brought through to this stuff was were very practical, and very, um, I mean, he, he was the one talking about things like liminality and and looking how the trickster works and all of this. And, uh, yeah, it just insights that nobody else really had. Big influence on me and some of my views, too, just from listening to those episodes. Like, he had a big influence on me. And when he actually, and so does Greg Bishop on my viewpoint. And when he actually did the show with Greg, that was like two different uh, Titans, you know, just talking it out, um, which was great. But uh, the whole liminality stuff and how that affects um, how that affects the paranormal and how, um, you know, the, and, and how it basically causes things to happen um, is really, really fascinating. And he had a lot of just like a ton of influence on on me personally i never pursued getting him on but uh 
you know, he uh, definitely was a great thinker. He uh, he tried to get away from the paranormal stuff a lot. You know, it really right. screwed up his life. He talks about it on one of the shows. Uh, right. Really messed up his life. And so he would kind of dip his toes in, but he didn't want to get into it 100%. Uh, he was working on a book of his experiences, and I don't know how far that got along. Um, and I don't know if his family is going to do anything about it. If, you know, like try and get it published or anything like that. He had, he was working with a ghostwriter, um, who I talked to, but I don't even remember who she was mm-hmm. or if he had stopped working with her and started with someone. I, like, I don't remember the details anymore. Yeah. He, uh, he reached out to me at some point and kind of asked me a little bit about, uh, book writing. If, yeah. um, if his if his family needs help getting his information published, you know, I'd consider it an honor to work on that. Uh, okay. Just putting that out there. So, um, so yeah, the uh, he was supposed to come to the last Alba Twitch that we went mm-hmm. to, um, which was they had one last year, didn't they? Uh, they Tim? did. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the last one you were involved with was pre-pandemic in twenty nineteen. Yeah, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. And he was going to come up to that because he wasn't that far away. And I forget what happened. He had some personal issues that it wasn't able to make it. And I think that's actually the last time I talked to him was when that happened. And I was just like, oh, OK, because I think we did the Lodge 49th. I mean, we talked on comments or whatever here and there on Twitter, but that was it. I didn't actually visit, you know, voice wise talk to him and I never got to meet him, which is incredibly disappointing to me because I, I really had a, uh, held him in very high regard and really would want to, to actually meet him. And um, I didn't, you know, he would always say he loved my show. Like, he'd just go on and on about it. And, and uh, I'd be like, okay. And I had no idea if he was just blowing smoke up my ass or what, you know? Because <laughs> uh, when, I, when I posted on Facebook that he had passed away, and his, his son posted uh, something along the lines of, uh, thanks for being such a good friend to my dad. He would keep me and my mom up you know, to, to the early morning, every time he talked to you talking about the stuff you guys talked about. (laughs) And I thought, okay, maybe he wasn't, you know, that's cool. I mean, he was, he was a really nice guy. I know a lot of people in the fields didn't like him, but that's because he called people on their BS. Right. Right. Because he was a jerk. Another thing about him, and you mentioned this, is that he really wanted to try to get away from it. Like, he really acknowledged that the paranormal ruined his life because he got obsessed. Yep. And that was a big thing for me, too, of just, like, looking at, like, you can't... I mean, it's fun to talk about this stuff, but you can't get obsessed with it. Because it will, like, utterly and totally just, like, rule your life. And I, I know people that this has happened to. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I did a show with him and Greg Bishop on, in fact, it's, it's in the second, um, and I'll be putting it up tonight, so by the time people hear this, they can find it. It's in the second compilation of shows with Jeff. There's two or three with Greg Bishop, and one of them is keeping your sanity while researching this stuff. Mm-hmm. Greg has been down those rabbit holes as well, so. Yes. Yeah. And if it's not in that grouping, it'll be in the next grouping that goes up. I can't remember what I ended up putting in which one, because I have something like 20 plus hours, I think, total, if I include the Patreon segments, which I'm doing, Mm -hmm. because I just want to put all the stuff he was on up there, you know, just so people can hear it and and check it out and uh, see what he was all about, because he was very insightful about this stuff. Right. 
Right. Yeah, he he will be missed. That's for sure. And it was very very sudden, and I think just very uh, very unfortunate that that he's gone. He 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 was gone far too far too early. Yeah, I mean, it was only fifty three. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that one hurt. I I I didn't get to speak to him nearly as much as I wanted to, but the times I did get to speak with him, I I just really love the guy. I just yeah, and they, very very were, very enamored with with his viewpoints and and considered him someone uh, I would go to when I needed advice on this stuff. You know, he's somebody I would reach out to and say, "Hey, Jeff, you know, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think about this?" You know, uh, excellent excellent person. I just well, I, I really like him, liked him, and and I will miss him immensely. I should mention here something that I have not mentioned. Uh, it's kind of a, a double whammy to me and this person I actually did know, uh, Angelia Shear. Uh, who lived here in Tennessee in the Nashville area, she passed away. And I know that you guys don't know her, but uh, she was uh, the head of the Tennessee MUFON. Very kind, very gracious lady. Really knew her stuff. Had just published a book about uh, high strangeness and UFO encounters and really looking into some of the cross uh, section of paranormal experiences. Um helped me a lot with kind of getting the first um, helping kind of like promote the first um, strange realities conference back in 2019 Um, had some people come because of her recommendation. So, you know, it was kind of a, that happened back, I think in February and then Jeff Ritzman dies. So, yeah. Well, uh, Tim, the first time you came on with Jeff, didn't we figure out you had both been at the same guitar shop like within a few days of one another or a few hours of one another or something? Yeah, so Jeff, for a while, ran his own guitar shop. He built guitars. I mean, the guy was a you know kind of a genius, really. Yeah, like, absolutely. And uh, we figured out that, yeah, we, we kind of traveled in the same circles. He knew people I knew. I knew people he knew. He grew up not far from where I grew up. Um, and... You know, was pretty familiar with with a lot of the area I grew up in, and yeah, the, there was some kind of crossover with the guitar shop. I don't know if he had come into the guitar shop where where I eventually ended up working, or I forget the actual you know crossover there, but there was some some you know very kind of synchronistic uh, crossover with with guitar shops and me and Jeff. Well, I think that you had both gone to the same guitar shop in a very short period of time. Oh, like like actually at that time. Yeah, That's, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, because I think he mentioned, "Oh, I went to this guitar shop earlier today," and you were like, "I was there yesterday." Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. I think it's when there was a guitar shop in Shrewsbury. Maybe I forget, but yeah, yeah. You're you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, but there was other crossovers too, like with him, like when he owned his guitar shop, and I may or may not have actually ever like actually walked into his guitar shop because I know where it was, and you know, it's quite possible at the time he had it that I would have walked in and, and I just wasn't a rock guy, you know, and he had mostly rock guitars, I think. Right. And just kind of looked around and, and, you know, made my way out of there. But yeah. Yeah. I, now that you mentioned it, yeah, there was, there was, uh, I, th- I think there was a guitar shop in Shrewsbury or something. And uh, yeah, we had just, <laughs> we had been there within, you know, a day or so of each other. The uh, I, I was very happy to get him into new bands because he was one of those people who was like, I don't like the sound of new metal. I don't like any newer metal bands. You know, I'm going to 
stick with the old stuff. And and uh, after going to see Unleash the Archers, I was like, man, there's such a maiden influence here. I bet Jeff would like them. And I sent him like two videos. I'm like, here, check these guys out. He responds with, I just bought their whole catalog. <laughs> I think death metal did that to a lot of the, the older heads. Yeah. Well, he didn't like the down tuning on everything. Okay. You know, that was his thing. Like I sent, him a couple other, I, I sent him a couple other things. He's like, this is all right, but I don't like the tuning on it. And then I sent him one eyed doll and I'm thinking, I don't know if he's, what he's going to make of this. Cause they're more like punk with some metal influences and they're quirky. And he's like, I love this. This is amazing. And I'm like, yes, that's two. I got him into. Was that the and band was, you guys were going to possibly go see that night yeah. of Alba Twitch? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Was it the night of Alba Twitch? There was something about that. Cause you were like, we can meet Jeff. And then, cause you were trying to go get me to see the band. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was Alba Twitch or just one of the times I came down to see you. Yeah, they were playing in Baltimore. And I was like, well, you know, come out to Alba Twitch and then we'll go see One Eyed Doll in Baltimore. And he's like, well, that sounds like it's workable. And it wasn't. <laughs> wow, that that old world is coming back soon, guys. We can all hang out and go to shows and... That's we right. Really miss it. Yeah. That's right. That's right, Tim. You can go to the bar because I know how much you love that. <laughs> Uh, so Sergio, you had some things that you wanted to uh, to talk about comparison comparison of all our shows. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of bounce around with you guys because like there's so much crossover between our listenerships, and like I know people usually find seems like uh, where did the road go first? Uh, I actually found conspiracy normal first, but I was you know, very, very soon after listening to both of y'all's podcasts as well. But just like, what, uh, what are some things that characterize our mutual listeners and maybe, uh, what people may want to listen to just one or the other, but not all three and some things like that. I think there's probably a lot of, a lot of funny observations we can make. Well, I think, uh, one of the reasons I, I, I didn't, I forgot that I pushed him into doing a podcast in the first place until he reminded me. But the thing is like when he started, when he sent me the first episode, I'm like, this is great. And it's totally different than what I'm doing. So for a while I had Tim, I had strange familiars running on the feed for where'd the road go until he kind of blew up and took off on his own. Um, but it, you know, like the shows are very different. There's, there's some, some mutual coverage, but I mean, I think, where did the road go is more, more varied than like strange familiars. But you don't do, you don't do conspiracy nor politics as you usually say. Right? right. Right. I mean, there's been one or two shows in the history of the show. Um, I did have Douglas Dietrich on and I did have Paul Kimball on talking about nine 11 conspiracies because he didn't believe in any of them. And I had what I'd wanted to do with that is have him on on that side and then get someone who was, you know, who did believe in the 9-11 conspiracies to counter it in a different show. But that never happened. But for the most part, I just leave that stuff out. Yeah. So, so what is your what's your typical where did the Rogo listener versus conspiracy normal listener versus strange familiar listener? And they're definitely, they're, well, there's definitely a healthy overlap. 
Um, Tim focuses more on the folklore, more on Bigfoot, whereas I'm unintentionally probably more focused on UFOs. It just turned out that way. When I started, I was more focused on uh, lost civilization stuff, mm-hmm. um, cool. ancient cultures, things like that. Um, but I mean, I, I, I think the people who really like the folklore aspect and stuff are totally going to focus in on something like strange familiars. You guys, I mean, there's, there's a lot of overlap with us, but you also take on a lot of guests and subjects that I'm just not interested in. And while UFOs proper don't necessarily show up in Tim's show, there's a lot of mysterious lights and similar kind of phenomenon. So I think so you know shorthand where do the road goes are like like smarter older brother <laughs> <laughs> but but to to break it down it's more like um i'm very interested in experiential things i i want to experience things myself and sometimes i have the tape recording you know when that happens tape mm-hmm. The recorder running when that happens. I'm, st- I'm still in the '80s. There's still tape running in my head, but uh, other times I want to talk to people and hear what they experience, and and that's probably the folklorist in me. Like I, I really, really want to document this stuff. I want to like get it down. I, I, I feel like these stories need to, you know, there needs to be a record of these stories. Um, and it's almost like, like Sarai is almost like okay these things happen let's let's we know these things happen let now let's talk about the possibilities why these things happen and you know maybe there's something behind these things happening and so forth so you know i think mine's more about the the experience and his is more about the why that's the way i view it anyway yeah yeah that makes sense because sarai is always trying to like really explore the mechanisms and the the cosmology that would allow things to happen and how they're actually taking place and how consciousness works. Yeah. Really philosophical. Yeah. I think if you listen to, you know, there's sometimes where we'll interview the same people. And if you listen to our interviews, the questions we ask are different. I'm yeah. really like, I want to know what they saw, what, you know, what happened when they saw it, uh, what their impressions were at that time, you know, and, and of course there's some crossover. We both, you know, ask some of these same questions, but you know, Sarai is going to get into more like, what was going on in your life and you know what did you feel and and you know ask them sort of these these questions like uh do you think it could have been blank you know yeah where, where i'm just like let's document this experience blah 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 um you know so it's it's just two different approaches i think they're they're both absolutely valid yeah i'm, I'm very much the same way when i talk to guests that have like kind of personal stories in the fact that like i want to know what else has happened to them like is there anything that uh, we because knowing what I know that just how this you have all these different type of phenomenon that is under the umbrella of all these paranormal phenomenon and wanting to know have you ever so you had this weird UFO experience you were abducted by aliens uh, what else weird has happened to you that's usually what that's usually the thing that I'm most curious about yeah and your show is just I mean it's so interesting to me because there is such a variety and, and you'll have stuff like you'll have the guy talking about the weird, you know, dime store grimoires or whatever, you know, one week yeah. and then the next week you're talking about something totally different. And, uh, 
So I like that. I like that uh, a lot. So, you know, you're our weird cousin. So, so Sarai is the older... The, <laughs> Sarai's the older brother who's been been seen been there, done that, and he wants to ask the questions why. Even though I'm actually older than Sarai as far as podcasting goes. Well, too bad. This is the way I do. <laughs> yeah, but you're not you're not you're, you're what, a month you started yours like a month before no, I did? No, it was probably about a, almost a year. Oh, really? When did you start? Yeah. March of the first show got posted on April 9th, twenty twelve. Oh, okay. All right, yeah, almost a year. Yep. Because mine's January 2013. But I didn't say so, you're eight. I wasn't talking about your age. It's just, you're like our, our cousin. You're like our. Right, our, right, our, yeah. our, right, right. Or your generalist right. cousin. Yeah. Yeah, who's, who's, well, who's into that end, you know? See, that all kind of comes from my whole thing of just like how I was interested in several different things at the same time. It's probably a lack of focus on my part, but. You know, I was interested in the paranormal. I was interested in the conspiracy theory. I was interested in history. I was interested in how do those things, how might those things intersect? And all those things really interested me. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. And a lot of it had to do too with just meeting all these different types of people at all these conferences. And I, I listened to podcasts for several years before I started Conspiracy Normal, at least a good like seven years, I think I listened to podcasts and I had all these different people that I had listened to on several different podcasts that I wanted to talk to. So it was just really just like going down the list. Who, I, who do I want to talk to? I mean, that's really what it came down to when I first started doing it. Wow. Like, see, see, I'm such a baby then in this world. Like I really, I started listening to podcasts probably a year before I started mine. And, you know, oh. I am came along much later than, than you guys or Sarai. Yeah, I just got lucky one night. I I was listening to Coast to Coast, and I heard these guys named Ghostly Talk uh, on there. And I was like, I didn't want to pay for Coast to Coast. <laughs> I later I later did pay for Coast to Coast, but I was like, I started listening. I started listening to those guys, and they were one of the first, like, it was really an internet radio show that they just posted onto um, and I, onto their website, and I would listen directly off their website. Like iTunes really wasn't a thing as far as podcasts. And uh, World of the Unexplained was another one that I started listening to around the same time, and they were kind of that same way where they talked to all these different kinds of people. So just from listening to all these different these different types of shows, I just, you know, I want to talk to this ghost hunter, but then I want to talk to this conspiracy theory researcher and I'll, you know, it was just all that. It was just all there in my brain. Yeah. And I, that's kind of, kind of how I started too, except I, I got into podcast listening late. I mean, mostly because of Graham Hancock. I wanted to hear Graham Hancock talk. Yeah. And so I listened to him on coast to coast because he actually put up like a torrent of all his coast to coast uh, appearances. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I was like, well, he's probably been on, there's probably other shows, right? And so I started seeking out other shows Graham Hancock had been on and then started going, why don't, there's probably other stuff people are talking about. I should see what else is on these shows and went from there. But like the thing that kicked me into wanting to do it, I mean, I wanted to talk to these people, but there was one that I'd listened to and I don't, I don't really want to name it. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was awful. Every once in a while it was okay, but they would have guests on that I wanted to talk to. And then they wouldn't know what the hell they were talking about. And I'm like, yeah. why do they get to talk to these people? And I don't, yeah. I need to start a yeah. show. You know? Right. 
This yeah. is me when I hear people interviewing paranormal witnesses on other podcasts. I'm like, ask them this, and they don't ask them. Like, oh, <laughs> come on my show. I, I actually, um, it was just it was that combination of coast to coast and ghostly talk and all that other, and all that other kind of stuff. Um, and also to go into conferences, I went to a lot of like paranormal type conferences in that time period from like 2006 to like 2011. And I just met like just a ton of people. Huh? So yeah, I didn't, I didn't that, go to any of that stuff. Yeah. That, that helped as well, which is why I always wanted to do a paranormal conference myself. So, well, I crowdsourced uh, some of the stuff and I asked a lot of uh, people that we all know, uh, what they thought, um, our friend Chris Corey said that what he thinks uh, unites all three of the shows is how even handed we are and that uh, he feels like so much conspiracy stuff is soapboxy and uh, we don't really have like a big agenda or like weird kind of hidden narrative going on. We're not really, um, you know, selling supplements or like snake oil or like therapeutic stuff or anything like that. Um, you know, don't really have any big answers for anybody necessarily. Um, so he likes that. Uh, Stephanie quick says to not tell anybody, but she loves a little bit of conspiracy with her weird, which is why she likes conspiranormal. You just um, told like thousands of people. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> our friend, Steven Davidowitz says, uh, he guesses that uh, since he lived in the South during the Satanic Panic, he likes uh, how we seem intellectual. That's that's very good. I yeah. Like that. Um, let's see. We got uh, we got Nate saying uh, one knows Sasquatch is a government experiment. One knows it's a quantum dimensional atemporal phenomena, and the other is pretty sure it has something to do with fairies and flannel men. <laughs> <laughs> which one is me <laughs> right um jennifer campbell who's a listener of all of us says that uh where did the road go stands alone um it says it, she says that it's best when linking disparate voices on the subject and i think initially people might consider your show more mainline ufos and conspiracy show an easing in point for the more esoteric ideas and Strange Familiars was kind of like that for cryptids until the cryptid crowd blew Tim's spot up for being a non-physical Bigfoot guy. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'd say uh, I was asking one person and they were like, oh, well, I don't know what the other listeners are like because I'm so socially isolated. But I thought we probably have that uh, in common. Uh, pr- probably a lot of our listeners are socially isolated. <laughs> I'm sure that's in spades, especially over the last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my, my reason for staying away from conspiracies is it draws in too many people who just think they know everything. Oh, yeah, we know. We know. Definitely. That toxic culture, just like, I don't want to invite that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm totally fine talking yeah. about the stuff. But like, look, no one knows. Knowing and thinking, you know, are two very different things. Exactly. Attracts uh, all kinds of colorful characters. Uh, I think we have the most recovering evangelicals. I guarantee you I've got the most Catholics. I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have probably had the most in, in, in the, the other crowd, the agnostic atheist sort of crowd. Probably, Interest, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. 
Um, and everyone definitely agrees that Tim has the best production value and someone, someone compared it to NPR for Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, Soraya I know has the most natural disasters. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it that way. I don't want any, I don't want any. Yeah. He's in the middle of one right now. So uh, it's as, just a power outage as we speak. Well, it's, I mean, what it still hasn't come back on, huh? They, they said 1045. It is currently real time. 1010. Well, just to say too, it's just like you guys, both of you guys have been a huge influence on me just, you know, in and of yourselves. Um, there's, there's, there's like, there, there's basically like <clears throat> three podcasts that I really listen to religiously and two of them are are, are your your two podcasts now. So what's the third one? <clears throat> Thirteen o'clock, Jenny Ashford's. Ah, okay, which is quite different from all of our shows. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Well, she's more true crime. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. But but they will talk about anything because Tom gets really really distracted, and they both get re- they both get really drunk. I, I, I will jump around. I mean, obviously, Strange Familiars and Conspiracy Normal are on my regular rotation when I want to listen to a non-story-driven podcast. Um, I love the Snake Brothers. Um, I think their podcast is fantastic. Um, Radio Mysterioso, when Greg actually does it. Um, <laughs> right, right. And I have a, I have a bunch and I'm blanking on what they are where I'm like, I should check this one out. I should check this one out. I should check this one out. Um, a lot of times they, they turn out just to be nothing special. It's like, Oh, this is okay, but I don't care. Well, my other big podcasting genre that I listen to is history podcasts. Yeah. I listen, I listen mostly to, to audio fiction just because it, it gives me a break from all this stuff. And mm. I just, I like stuff that has deep story driven stuff. Like I don't like the, the ones that are like a different story each time. Mm-hmm. I want like an overarching narrative that hopefully goes somewhere interesting. Adam, yeah. you're going to have to give me some recommendation on history podcast. Cause I, I love hardcore history, but I haven't found another one that, that. Well, yeah, the problem, hardcore history is great. And I love Dan Carlin, but the problem is, is that he makes these epic six hour shows and he take he t- he takes forever to th- to do them. Uh, I would highly recommend Mike Duncan stuff. I've heard that uh, name before. He, he, I actually tried to get him on the show, uh, but he didn't want to come on because he thought he didn't want to talk about conspiracy theories. And I'm like, I want to talk about your book. I don't want to talk about. Just don't pay. Just like you know, and I send him all these emails. I'm like all these shows. I'm like, dude, we, 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 we don't. We're not that type of conspiracy theory show. But anyway, I still respect him. Uh, so history of Rome, which is like this epic, obviously history of ancient Rome, and then he's got this current podcast, which is Revolutions, which is about um, the everything, every revolution from like the the English Civil War. And now he's talking about the russian revolution cool so uh those are really good there's another one that i got into for a little bit called when diplomacy fails uh that's just basically kind of like european history uh and of course hardcore history whenever he puts whenever dan carlin puts out an episode i'll usually listen to that yeah they broke down his um his thing on the on the cons into i think they're one or two hour shows so a little mm. bit more easy to digest and then yeah. made made it a whole series 
yeah. like like that way. They they should probably his old shows like that. They should probably do that with. They're way easier to digest as that because I'm I'm on the Supernova in the East now, and the, like some of those episodes are four or five hours long. Yeah, it's just, yeah. That's his current. That's his current one. I fall asleep and I try to go back and find where <laughs> I was and end up listening to half an hour I already right. listened to and yeah right. I, yeah. And I, I think that's another draw for me for audio fiction is so many of them are like 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to, I'm going to drive to Ithaca. I'll listen to three of these, you know? Um, yeah. They're, they're, the- I, like the snake brothers make really long podcasts. And as much as I enjoy them, it, it is one of the things where I look and go, man, this is going to be three hours. Yeah. The history podcasts for me are more like listening to an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, um, listening to like a, a show like ours and you can probably you know? kind of find chronologically where you were just based on the, the time that you remember them talking right. about. Right. Right. Yeah. So I highly recommend Mike Duncan stuff. His stuff is really interesting. I mean, stuff I didn't know about like the Mexican revolution. I didn't really know much about it till I really listened to his series on that. Some of that stuff is, uh, like you just, they just didn't teach it to you in school. There's another one called the ancient world. That's very well worth, um, listening to, um, as well. I haven't got caught up with that in a long, long time, but, uh, what's your opinion on a, on long format, Tim? Do you, do you have an issue with it or what's your preference? Um, I don't personally, I, and I just go whatever, whatever it is, it is. Um, I try to make sure it's at least 50 minutes, but if it's an hour and a half, fine. If it's an hour and three quarters, fine. But I know people have contacted me and said, like, they want basically the commute. That's the length of the show they want. Right. right. So, what about two hours and sixteen minutes now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, like I said, I don't. I don't have a problem with longer some people shows. love it. The longer it is, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I kept I getting requests. I kept getting requests to put up those UFO history shows in one file. Yeah, I'm. I'm one. Of, I'm one of those people. The longer a podcast, the more I like it. And it was twenty plus hours, I think, when I added all the Patreon segments. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's and I crazy. Was just like, I can't. I couldn't even upload it to YouTube in one part because YouTube has a limit at twelve yeah. hours now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, mixed down in Ableton, it won't let me export past like three hours. What's the longest we've done? I think maybe maybe there was one that was like. I think the Alan. The ones that we bust up into two with like Alan Greenfield. Yeah, I think that would have been like probably four hours. Yeah, I think we've touched like four or yeah. four and a half. Yeah, but we split those shows up. Yeah, right, and that, that's what I would do. Like the like the first time I had Jeff Ritzman on, I mean, we went over three hours of actual show, and I'm like, all right, so this is gonna be like three shows. It's kind of cool sometimes when that happens because you're like, okay, I got some like wiggle room for next week. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Yep. A breather the, for once. The one before this one with Richard Spence, that was like two, almost two and a half. Yeah, yeah that, that man, man can lecture. lecture. He really can. <laughs> and he doesn't miss a beat either. You know, one of the other things I did when I started my podcast, I mean, because initially it was, I want to talk to these people like Andrew Collins and Robert Schock and stuff like that. But then I started looking through my bookshelf and going, what, what stuff was really influential on me that I've never heard anyone talk about? Which is where I pulled Patrick Harper and uh, um, uh, Trickster in the Paranormal. Um, Hanson. Hanson from. Because, like, I contacted Harper. I'm like, there's no way he's going to talk to me. 
And he's like, I'd love to come on. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I get him on. I'm like, why, why haven't I heard you on other shows? He's like, no one's ever asked me. Yeah, there's a tendency for to just kind of go on some of these shows to just go for like the more popular sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Thamonic Reality is a, a game changer in this stuff, and no one's had him on. Yeah. yeah. I'm basically uh, afraid to have him on because I, <laughs> I, I like just really kind of locked up when when you had me and and Josh and and uh, Ren and Ren and him on. That and you're like, one. okay, guys, go. I'm like, da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> he's so personable, though. He's not someone who's gonna, you know, oh, give you super, a hard time. Super cool, and we bonded over music, and you know, you know, he liked to. When I was talking about my my Marian animism thing, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to start using that," you know. So, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, but it's, I just don't know, like, doing handling the whole interview myself. I don't know if I could because I'm just like, man, this guy is like, he's just intellectually just a giant, you know. Yeah. Well, so was Hanson, and Hanson was intimidating. Um, like, if I have Hanson on, I want somebody. I, that was actually one of the things I was planning with Jeff Ritzman is for Jeff, I and and Hanson to be on. Mm-hmm. That, that was probably the next thing I was going to do with Jeff at some point, because that way, you know, he could take some of the, the brunt of talking to Hanson who, you know, I mean, he knows his stuff and Jeff mm-hmm. knows Hanson's stuff better than I do. So I would feel a little less pressure on me. Yeah. But again, yeah. I, said, I said to him, like, I'm like, have you ever been on coast to coast or anything? He's like, they don't want me on coast to coast. <laughs> He's like, they want me to distill my, you know, 600 page book down to, you know, a few easy to digest bits. Yeah. He's like, it's not going to happen. But even even if like a lot of these authors create really dense academic stuff, they're still they're still usually pretty good conversationalists. So, you know, they are able to filter down, not into not filter down to the coast to coast level, but definitely filter down to like could be on one of our podcasts. Oh, absolutely. But again, a lot of these people, no one ever asked. Yeah. And then, and then I'm like, oh, Richard Thompson wrote this great book uh, called uh, Maya the world as virtual reality or whatever, something to that effect. And I said, Oh, that was really good. I should have him on. Oh, he died last year. Great. And he lived in Binghamton. He was like an hour and a half away from me. He went to Cornell. In closing, let's do the great announcement. Strange reality. Oh, you mean something else. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, we we could we'll, we'll we will talk about that too. But uh Adam is really an AI. Yes, I do. I I don't actually exist, guys. I never have. I'm just a. I'm I'm. You know, this is this is why. Like you know, Rob and Serfiel, they 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 just turned me on. They just turned the the uh, the the computer on, and I and I and I just exist in holographic image. Anyway, um, we wanted to announce since we got both of you guys, and both of you guys are going to be involved about the strange realities 2021 and what we are going to do. Um, so we have set the dates. We are doing October 15th, 16th and 17th in Nashville. And what we are going to be doing is a kind of like hybrid event. So we're, because we really don't know what is going on as far as like Corona, although things seem to be getting better, we still don't know. So we're still kind of like, you know, 
what are we like seven months out Surfiel? I think right now. So we are still just kind of like watching that situation. Uh, but at the very least we will kind of have like a command center where we did our first strange realities conference back in 2019, which is SIR there in Nashville. And we will be doing it from there. Right. So the stream will be looking more like uh, if you've seen the 2019 videos, right. with people on stage, uh, the people who can be there physically, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So we're uh, going to be selling t- tickets quite soon and we're looking at the prices, but uh, these two gentlemen are actually going to be uh, returning. Uh, this is going to be Tim's third year. And Soraya, this is going to be the second year. And Soraya, you and I were talking about possibly to having you do some like, uh, MCing some roundtable uh, okay. events for us. Bring some where the rogo flavor. Yep. <laughs> and possibly doing interviews. So, uh, we will have tickets up quite, we will have tickets up soon. Uh, this is going to be a three day event. There's going to be a, in-person package and there's going to be an online package only so you do not actually have to come to nashville you can watch this from the comfort of your home if you don't feel like coming but we are going to have a kind of right now limited amount of tickets available for in person so adam and his package is a band <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, think think about, about it. And yeah. Soraya derails the whole announcement. Yes. Yeah, yes. They, they want, want to know, know how much Adam, Adam and his package is. Yeah. Uh, that's the big. That's the big announcement, guy. And uh, guys, we're glad to have you both coming back. Yeah, Excellent. I haven't. I've made no decision whether I'm going to be there in person yet or not. Uh, it's going to come down to how things look, I guess, as mm-hmm. we get a little bit further into right. the summer. But I'd like to be there, and. The, the better part of me is thinking I'm going to be there, but we'll see. We'll get you that banjo this time. You, you, if, if I come, you may see the wizard staff. Cause I think I might just camp this time and, and show up and go back to my tent and I'm, I'm more comfortable in the woods. Nice. And Sarai, you're thinking of coming out. Possibly yeah, well. that, that's, that is the plan. And we know how that much is... you love country music, Soraya. So <sighs> It, we may or may not drive together. We had talked about that before. If, yes. Yeah. I'm totally down for that. That'll be fun. Okay. Yeah. Campgrounds. And we've got time to figure that stuff out guys, all that logistic stuff. Just, we are going to be equipped uh, to actually stream this thing. So whether the speaker is going to be speak, doing it from their own home or doing it from SIR in Nashville, uh, we will know hopefully over the summer. Awesome. Uh, so we're trying to just kind of look at the situation. So far, things look pretty. Things are looking a lot brighter than they were definitely a year ago. So absolutely. If things continue, if things don't get completely derailed, I would think that most things will be more or less fully open by then. Yes. Yes. I I, I would assume so. So stay tuned, guys. Hopefully by next week we will have an announcement on our pricing, and we will have a place to go to. Uh, get that probably that's that's going to be at strangerealitiesconference.com just like it was last year and there will be options for either being there coming to nashville or watching from home so either way you guys will get to see it i'm excited i love strange realities awesome awesome we love having you 
and it's going to be great to have hopefully to have you both there. All right. Uh, I think that's it. I think we're just going to go ahead and close out yep. the show. Surfiel. Uh, guys, please tell everybody where they can find y'all your wonderful podcasts and, uh, Tim's like awesome books. That's uh that he does. Uh, you can find me and my podcast at strangefamiliars.com. All that contact information goes right to me. You can also find links to my Etsy shop there. We can buy all my books. They all come signed if you get them from Etsy, including my art book, Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other. The, that book is not available on Amazon. My others are. You can find all them on Amazon uh, if you, if you uh, don't mind dealing with the, the evil giant uh, Amazon. I get lectured because I mention Amazon, but Amazon is responsible for a good part of my income. So <laughs> Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Uh, you can make up your own mind whether you want to deal with them or not. But if you don't like, we you can always get them directly from me via the Etsy store. Get Tim's books. They're awesome. Yes. Thank you. Yes, they are. And Soraya? Um, I don't have awesome books yet. But you you have you have awesome other things. Where do the road go dot com and hopefully, hopefully I I can make absolutely no guarantees, but hopefully I will have one of the two books I'm working on done by the time Strange Realities happens. Cool. Okay. Awesome. I've been and, and honestly, as much as I hate to say it, Jeff Ritzman dying has been kind of a kick in my butt. Because he wasn't that much older than me, and I'm kind of like, I need to get at least one of my books done, preferably both of them, before something happens to me. Because you never know. I understand. I understand the feeling. Yes. So I, I've been working diligently, jumping between the two books—the one on my personal experiences and the one on new ways of looking at uh, all this weird stuff and consciousness and everything else—and just kind of depends what mood I'm in. Cool. All right. All right, guys, that's it for the show. Uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, Surfiel, tell everybody about our Patreon and what we have there. You can uh, check out a new episode, a new Patreon-exclusive episode every week on patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, just tomorrow, we're doing our, I believe, third Mystic Crew Hangout for the $10 and up folks and the $20 and up gets you a VIP experience at the Strange Realities Conference as well as uh, these uh, exclusive Patreon-only Conspiranormal t-shirts with the alien head with the Fez. Um, just check us out on patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next week on Conspiranormal. Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.